0: your work. I cut holes. Really, I cut everything there is. I get plenty of work this time of year that ties me over doing the winter months when I just do some house repairs for folks. That's men's work. Not if I get to it first.
1: <laughs> <laughs> this is sex. Everyone gets what they want. This is sexploration. Explore. Play. This is Sexploration with Monica. Sex is proof that God loves us and wants us to have fun. Sexploration with Monica at sexplorationwithmonica.com You know, Miss Flora, I, I never
0: told anybody this, but i always wanted to be my own son. My mother had 10 brothers for me, and I, I even helped raise them, but that wasn't enough. I want my own. Well, it ain't over yet. You still seeing your flow? Aren't you going to have your baby? Do everything else you want, whether God like it or not, you can do that, too. I ain't fit for birthing. You're the one who ought to be having the
2: children. You're the lady. I declare, sometimes I just don't understand you. Anyway, I've been down that dead end street and ain't going back. Stretch marks are crawling on me like worms. Somebody ought to kiss every one of them.
0: Those marks are a woman's honor.
1: I never heard that say it before. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sitting now in this incredibly swanky office building in the financial district in San Francisco. These are the offices of the Theater of Rhinoceros. They are doing a very exciting, it's kind of like a cutting-edge production. It's called A Lady and a Woman, and it's about a love that back then probably wasn't, couldn't, I mean, it was like the star-crossed love that couldn't happen back then. Yeah. Tell me what's going on with this relationship.
0: Hi, Monica. There's a lot going on with this relationship. Two women, right after the Civil War, of African ancestry, falling in love and trying to create a family with a child.
1: See? <laughs> this is Don L. Troop. She's one of the actresses in the play, and... It's very exciting because what I've seen, the publicity so far. So are you the lady or the woman? I'm the woman. How would you describe your character? The woman
0: is a grounded, very resourceful, well-traveled, educated in her experience, lovely, feminine person.
1: And so the lady is kind of an aristocrat. You kind of come from different classes, don't you? Yes,
0: we do. But it's not an um, aristocracy. She's just from a different uh, world where she might be employed on a continual basis in one Mm. location, whereas I am more transient.
3: Mm.
1: And tell me about the historical context of the play.
0: The play was written by Charlene Holmes, and she's placed it literally right after the Civil War and we have created some of the world, so we established a town, we believe it's a southern town. It is not too long after slaves have gained their freedom, but we believe it's also probably in a black township because Miss Flora does have her own inn and I am able to travel through the south working to create a lifestyle and income for myself.
1: How do you guys fall in love? How does that happen? Oh
0: Beautifully beautifully the tapestry of this piece is woven lovely by Miss Holmes her dialogue the conversation and just the heart of the piece is rich it's I hate using the word organic but it's pretty raw and I believe that it takes the essence of what love is to allow
1: you to fall in love with their relationship so it's not only a love story but also a story of a very socially unacceptable love during a time when when there's a lot of stuff going on. There's a lot of classism, there's a lot of racism, there's a lot of stuff. Lots and <laughs> lots of
0: stuff. The fact that they can find love in this town, first of all, amongst these people, amongst the social mores that are being placed on them, And they have a desire to have a child, adopt a child, (laughs) is insane, right? Right. But it's not even taking into account that they are of, they're black. They're women who have no rights whatsoever at this time. Mm -hmm. And they are able to weave, like I said, this love story together without the outside world beating them up. Or they are not allowing the outside world to beat them up. It's almost impossible, but they make it possible.
1: So what are you learning about the lives of people from back then while you're doing this play? It's
0: interesting. I get to visit these, I've had the opportunity and I've been blessed to be able to visit these kinds of characters from that day. So it's always nice to meet a new character and Biddy is new because she's such a fighter and this woman that uh, I get to portray is just rich. She's a woman, but she's also so strong. Her travels help her to create a life for herself. Her meeting Miss Flora changes that life. And I hadn't thought of a black woman in that time period having to have the experience of fighting for more than just her voice, but fighting to survive as a lesbian woman before the word was even, you know, really created Mm -hmm. she may have been called oh you know the racial epithet more than she was ever called anything other than you know Mm -hmm. oh my I can't imagine but I love to be able to dive into that Mm. I love the journey into her world Mm -hmm. I love her strength despite what's going on around her
1: what are some of the emotions that your character has to pass through
0: pain joy Overcoming her situation, pleasure, peace, resolve, educating herself in love and in the world of Miss Flora. (laughs)
1: <laughs> her, partner. her partner right getting to know which, that person and be like wow look exactly. at you who you are okay <laughs> okay I think
0: I well, yeah we're gonna do this I it's think a we journey are. wow <laughs> yeah. yeah and that's mm. that's exactly it it's a journey it's a fantastic journey and I I love these women they could teach us a lot I was mm-hmm. saying that earlier about what we choose to accept into our world and what we choose to allow to happen in our worlds
1: can you describe some of the tools that they have or develop to be more empowered? They
0: use faith and in different ways. And that, that's also another piece of it. You're talking about, wow, as I, I go back over this, you're talking about faith. You're talking about race. You're talking about sexuality. The, the layers are many. And they are able to take a step at a time to battle through all of that. And then the, the hearsay, the, the gossip The townsfolk who are talking about me coming to town, for instance, and not being the upstanding lady that I'm supposed to be living in this inn and what might happen. And I I love one of Biddy's lines where she says, folks, all those people scratching and itching are just scared of themselves and what they're liable to do if folks didn't talk about it. They are responsible for their own actions, but
1: mm-hmm. if if they're they, coming from such fear, that they have to judge and say, "Well, you know, what are they not doing exactly. that they want to do?" That's exactly it. What authentic self are they hiding? Right. Oh, yes, mm-hmm. yes. It seems like such a. I mean, I know this is San Francisco, but this is kind of cutting edge. Yes, I it is. That. I love I that. Love that. <laughs> <laughs> and Monica, it's
0: funny. There's some um, some song uh john richards is incorporating some song it's a play but there is some valina sings and so do i so we are using our voices to not only tell the story in dialogue we are creating it with some music sweet. um very I love a musical oh very sweet <laughs> there is
1: um let's see what else i can tell you well, you know, where the drama goes or what people can expect or what you're trying to say as, as a person playing in this role, what your costume is going to be like.
0: <laughs> oh, my costume, D- Daisy has tried on quite a few things, a very fun costume. I get to use a, a vest. I'll be playing a, a butcher of sorts. So I'm even in a position that is not, <laughs> not usually a woman's role. Usually a woman's role and actually Miss Flora tells me that. You should expect <laughs> to come and laugh. You should expect to come and be educated and have questions when you leave. That's my desire. That you have questions and you go do the work to find out what happened to women mm-hmm. who might have had these desires back then. Come and be ready to see some beautiful loving tender honest moments between two women on stage that are fighting for a voice and equality their determination is just rich with poetry i i love shirlene's dialogue her words are, are incredible valina is fun to work with so expect some fantastic chemistry between two the two of us this is my first time working with theater rhinoceros But I I really am just incredibly proud of their efforts to put this play out and up on its feet. I believe it is cutting edge.
1: And I'm excited to be a part of it, too. Well, thank you so much, Don L. Troop. Is there a way for people to find you if they want to? Like be on your fan page or something? You know, I need to
0: set myself up that. uh, No, I don't have a site as of yet, but it will be coming soon. Look out for it. It's
1: the bane of every artist. The website. Yeah, they're always like, I'm working on it. Oh, but I'm also creating my art. Oh, (laughs) (laughs) I have a song
0: about it. You'd like to hear it? Here it goes. No, I
1: don't. No, really? I was like, oh, my God. That's exciting. We're going to break out into song right now. Loves musicals. I do love musicals. <laughs> Carry the plot along with a song. Why not? Okay, well, Donnell Troop, thank you so much. <laughs> thank Thanks for coming you. on Sexploration with Monica. Thank you, Monica. You're a lot of fun. Take mm. care.
0: You smell like fresh blood. That's a woman's right. That'll wash away. Oh.
2: Someone's in the kitchen with Dina. Belly tea. It's going to make it feel real good, baby. Mm, it's got eucalyptus, peppermint, and a secret I learned from a woman in it. Well, woman? Spirit woman comes to visit me in the night from time to time. She told me where to find this herb, and I went and pulled it and balled it in this tea. Mm, smells good.
1: And now I'm sitting with Miss Flora. This is actress Valina Brown, and she is the lady in a lady and a woman. And we're talking about some of the aspects of this character. She's a healer. She owns her own inn. She's a midwife. And this is all happening kind of in a small town in the South where it seems historically fairly unlikely that a woman would have all this power.
2: Well, I think that there are examples. Outliers. Yeah. In the play, uh, Shirlene Holmes, the author, she doesn't really explain how these things happen, but both of the women, both Biddy and Miss Flora, are really unique women who come together and are able to really complement each other because Flora does own the inn and she has a specific place. And Biddy is someone who, very unusually for that time, she's a woman who cuts up animals like people when they, when they she's, right, a, she's but- a butcher. She's a butcher. <laughs> and so she travels from town to town doing that. She makes a pretty good living doing that. But she doesn't have a place. She's always on the road. She's always traveling. So Miss Flora is very embedded in a community. And Biddy really doesn't have a community. And so when they come, when they meet, they sort of really are two independent, very capable women who come together and, and you know, really complement each other. Because up to that point, neither of them have really had, you know, any real f- close friends. And so it's sort of an interesting thing that they're, because of their uniqueness, they're sort of outside of what you would normally see.
1: Right, normal society. Right, that's right, yeah. Whatever normal means. Right tell me a little bit more about your character because there, the difference between, I mean, one's called the lady and the other's called the woman. Mm-hmm. There's, is it because of the, she's kind of nomadic or is there some social strata differences between the two
2: characters? Well, I think the difference really is Miss Flora, she actually is more conventional than Biddy. Biddy dresses very, uh, you know, she wears pants and work work. uh, Scandal. I know, scandalous. (laughs) You know, she wears work pants and like a vest and the kind of work that she does doesn't really lend itself to dressing all dainty, whereas... butchering a hog, I imagine. Right, exactly. And so whereas Miss Flora running this inn, when people come in, she's behind the desk and she's dressed very, you know, femininely and in that sort of upstanding lady sort of way because she runs a very respectable place compared to that kind of juke joint thing that's down the road there. if People want some, uh, you know, a little business. They need to go (laughs) on down the road. The
1: extra services. Mm -hmm,
2: Exactly. (laughs) And so she's presenting herself in, in that way. And that's just, you know, it would not have occurred to her to present herself any other way.
1: Does the character get any flack from the people around her about, you know, how can you do this alone as a single woman? You know, where's your man?
2: Well, I'm not really in the play. We don't really hear people giving her flack about the inn exactly. She was married. It didn't work out so well. She has a scar on her face. This big, long, keloided scar that she has on her face is a result of a fight that she had with her husband. He hit her. She cut her face on the mirror that she fell against but they got into a big fight. She didn't take it laying down, and she ended up in jail for, I guess, really giving him a good flogging after he hit her, and and he left, and she never saw him again. She was done with him. So from that point on, she was running the inn by herself, and I think that that story, the fact that her husband thought that he would hit her and that was going to fly, and it didn't after that, he was out of there. Right. And, and so I think that people maybe would know to kind of leave Miss Flora alone, mm. you know, because she's running the inn and she's, it's fine and she didn't need him.
1: Well, let's talk a little bit about that because it's actually rape and domestic violence isn't about sex. It's not about gender. It's about power, mm-hmm. you know, and people are abused when they don't have equal power, with their abusers, because you can't abuse someone that has the same amount of power than you because they'll leave, right? So let's talk a little bit about the power that Miss Flora has developed over the years. You know, what what has made her such a strong person? And, you know, how does she go about in the world letting people know that she's got this under control?
2: Well, I think the thing about Miss Flora is that she is very, this is a conversation that happens continuously between her and Biddy she is very in touch with her source her power and that is her first and primary relationship is between herself and her inner wisdom and her power Mm -hmm. so that's how she navigates through life that there are moments where she will say I just stopped and waited on the spirit to tell me what to do Mm -hmm. so she gets quiet she listens she follows those inner promptings that she gets from spirit and that's how she lives so if someone is wanting to you know impose their will or their attitudes of what they think should be happening she's like I'm sorry but this is a spiritual matter this is what I'm doing spirit has let me know what I need to do and that's what I'm doing and you if you're going to be with me you have to understand that that's you know, that's the priority. I love you, but you don't get to tell me what to do. I live in service of the spirit. So it's, she's very grounded and she's very clear that way. And so there are a couple of points where she gets thrown off of her center and it's really a big deal. Takes some, you know, where she has to get herself reoriented and resituated again. But she is so used to being grounded in that. And the, so that's very powerful. It's inner power. It's not external power. It's internal power, which is more powerful.
1: Yeah. So tell me about when she gets kind of set off kilter. Is it being emotionally triggered? Is it like some circumstances? What sort of things does she you know, go through?
2: Well, her interaction with Biddy is really what throws her off because up to this point, the idea of being in a relationship with a woman really had never occurred to her. And so when she discovers that these feelings coming up for her, they are definitely causing her to, you know, it's causing a little bit of an identity crisis in terms of who who she has always been Mm -hmm. and what her image is in the community. You know, so what is this going to mean and so there's a little bit of time where she's trying to figure out how she's going to deal with that, what people are going to say, till she has to, again, get herself back in line with what is real and true for her, and that she's an honest person. And so she just had to get it all lined up so she can go, okay, this is, this is who I am also.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: So whenever, you know, you have a certain idea of who you are, and then some incident happens that really makes you have to revise that <laughs> that image it's a little bit of a a little thing yeah you gotta, totally. yeah a lot to think about so tell me a
1: little bit more about this because she's questioning her sexuality when there wasn't even a word for lesbian
2: hmm well the word in in the in the play is that this moment when they have a big hoo-ha because it's the morning after and she's all gefuffled now <laughs> and that just happened yeah. I enjoyed it. Oh. Yeah. Yeah. What did Dawn say? It was something really funny. It's like, I'm not like this, but I like this.
1: And <laughs> right. <laughs>
2: and so um so sort of that and what does all of this mean? So who
1: you are. Right. You know, and and especially when that wasn't even an option in the culture at all, like I can't be attracted to women, that's not natural.
2: Well, there was uh what I was leading up to is that they there's a word called she says they call you a bulldagger woman. Bulldagger. Bulldagger. Okay. And so so there was a word oh. for for that. The the people in the town had been talking about Biddy because she's mannish and how she carries herself, how she dresses, the line of work she's in, it's all very mannish. Mm -hmm. And so people were referring to her in that way. Mm -hmm. And then now that Flora has slept with her, then it's sort of like, oh, does that mean I'm a bulldagger? you know. Oh my. You know and what does that you know. Mean yeah. Yeah and so. What does it mean? What does bull dagger mean? I think that they use it the same ways that people would say you know like bull dyke now.
1: Oh oh, I never even thought of that.
3: Mm
2: -hmm. Right.
1: What are some of the issues that they have to go through coming out because they even want to adopt a child? I mean I'm sure people aren't like oh yeah great idea. Let me sign you up for that. See, I don't want to tell the whole
2: story. You don't you have gotta to tell come. much you of it.
1: You ha- know, because... Uh, Cause we want We want you to see it. Yeah. You, I want to see it. I can't yes. wait. Don't spoil it.
2: But, you know, <laughs> tell me all, everything. Well, <laughs> <laughs> well, the thing about this play, it's a, what's called a two-hander. So it's just me and Dawn. And so everything else is about our experiences and interactions within the inn, all of these private moments that we have together. There's other guests in the inn that we don't see or meet. but um, <laughs> Tricky. Right. But what you're getting to observe when you see the play is these two women getting to know each other and how this relationship is starting to develop. And then when someone goes out of the inn and has experiences and then comes back, and tells, the, tells story. the story of what's right. happening. So the circumstance of them adopting is one where they're fulfilling their dreams, but they're also solving some problems for other people as well. So, yeah.
1: I see. What kind of time period are we looking at here? I mean, because they begin their relationship, they go through the honeymoon phase, the saran wrap phase, as Mm -hmm. sometimes it's also called. And then they probably also like actually get to know each other and then realize You're not perfect, you know, because in every relationship we all learn like, oh, the real you. Mm -hmm. What's that like for both of them?
2: They get to know each other. They fall in love and there's friction and stuff that happens. And then they they work it out and all those things that it happens within a year. But because I think because they're both very honest people. I mean, that's the thing about them is that when it comes down to it, they're very honest. So it's not like they're putting on like a totally fake image of themselves that suddenly gets revealed and it's like oh my god that's not who i thought you were yeah
1: no i mean it but just in every relationship you know at first you're on your best behavior and you haven't experienced the imperfection of being yet
2: Mm -hmm. and then you're like
1: oh you are a human being oh Mm -hmm. you Mm -hmm. have emotions and vulnerabilities you know it's natural right
2: right. so they do learn more about each other and And the
1: histories you know that we have
2: and more about Yes, yes because each of them have very different backgrounds and experiences and stuff like that that they do share over the course of the of the play. So it's it's pretty interesting, but the time period is the late 1890s. So it's been about 30 something years since the ending of slavery. So the the emancipation proclamation was signed in 1863 and then the 13th Amendment was signed or passed in 1865 and this is the 1890s. So it's very close proximity to slavery but we're not in slavery at this point obviously.
1: So there's clearly like some race issues going on here and some class issues because you know you have the different characters coming from different backgrounds. Are there also some women's issues in this play? Because it it sounds like she's a a midwife, and there's an out-of-wedlock thing going on. Seems like there's a lot of issues that she addresses.
2: In terms of the racial issues, they're in a town that's, you know, it's a black township, so they're not really interacting with any white people. So that the, the drama that would come around that is not part of the the story. So they're they're sheltered from from that. We're not discussing issues around, you know, lynchings or anything like that. When it comes to class, I mean, I, I see them as being in very similar classes in that they each run their own businesses. They're very independent. They make their own money, and so they're not in a situation where they they feel like they need to have a man for their financial foundation or security, and so they have that in common. And so one is not dependent on the other for their livelihood. You know, so the two women are coming together on an equal footing in that regard as well. So in terms of the women issues or the gender issues, it's like in in the title, The Lady and a Woman. And it's sort of like when Biddy first checks into the inn and Miss Flora says, you'll be in room B, Miss Higgins. And she's like, oh, no, no, no. Just call me Biddy. I save the miss for the ladies. And I say, aren't you a lady she says I'm a woman you know and so what she's and it's like well what does that mean well I thought they were the same thing but if they're not what does that mean yeah
1: now you're challenging my ideas of gender too
2: so what it means really is that she says well you for example you're the kind of woman that carries and I'm the kind of woman that hauls is what Biddy says (laughs) you know so because you know so just the difference in the kind of work that they do and the kind of Physicality and that sort of thing. Mm-hmm. So it's interesting. So when they decide that they're going to adopt this little girl, and I say, I'm going to make sure she's a lady, and Viddy says, Oh, well, I'm going to make sure she's a woman. And so you can see that they're both going to, that this little girl is going to get the benefit of these two very, very capable women and be like a really well rounded person, you know? So I think that that's. You know, and then also the issue of whether or not Biddy sees herself as being as strong as a man and all of that sort of thing, because she is doing, quote unquote, men's work, but she does it so well that people hire her. I suppose there could be men who are upset about that who would like to be doing that, but of course she has to be, she has to be the best in order to be able to work. If she's kind of sort of so-so on it, she wouldn't be able to, they would just go with the man, right, since it's Mm -hmm. man's work. So there are those kinds of issues around that, but they're both very good at what they do. And so they're really neat people.
1: Well, I'm really excited to see the play, and I'm definitely excited to interview the playwright. So that's coming up later in the show. You can find out more about the play A Lady and a Woman at therhino.org. That's Theater Rhinoceros's website. The actual play is going to be at the Eureka Theater mm-hmm. and Valina Brown people can find you at valinabrown.com thank you so much for coming on Sexploration with Monica well
2: thank you so much Monica I appreciate oh, it this, this is a serious city. I've been trying to stay away from you because if you bring out my carnal nature you want to try to stay away too hard I'm just bringing out
0: what's already there I'm an upstanding woman in this town that ain't changed Ain't nobody challenged your dignity, and they better not while I'm around. whispering <laughs> all the time, talking about how you think you're strong as a man. I am. Stronger than many, I know, because I can show my feelings. It's a waste of time measuring a woman and a man. Ain't no comparison. They call you a dagger, woman. That's all right. Mm-hmm.
3: I'd rather they
0: call me a bulldagger than a nigger. Nothing hurts worse than that.
2: I just never thought I'd grow up to be no fool <laughs> <laughs> This
1: is John Fisher, and he was involved in selecting a lady and a woman for Theater Rhinoceros. And I wanted to know what were some of the decisions that went into picking this play?
4: Well, I read the play, and I was first of all struck by what a great love story this is. It's not often that you see two women on stage portrayed in a lesbian relationship. And it's such a believable story. And And black women. And African-American women, yes, of course. And also set in a time when you didn't really expect there to be lesbians, 1890. And that surprised me, too. And so we think about empowerment and putting things on stage that are going to empower the audience. I think that what empowers audiences is knowing that they have a history. Mm -hmm. That it wasn't just something created in the 60s through protest. It was something that goes way back. And that women have loved each other always. They've loved each other in a variety of cultures and environments. Here we have the Deep South, and African-American culture, and these are loving, prosperous women. They're independent women. They have their own jobs, their own businesses, and that has allowed them to make personal decisions that are challenging, but they fulfill them because they have the support of the community, and the community that they live in respects them and accepts their sexuality because they're contributors to the community. I think that's a lovely little story about women and African-Americans and about sexuality. And it's not often that those three things come together with history in one play.
1: Tell me about the selection of these two actresses, Dawn and Valina, for The Lady and the Woman.
4: Well, the great thing about both of them is that they're both terrific actresses who have a lot of experience in straight theater, by which I mean dramatic theater. Oh,
1: and not heterosexual.
4: Not heterosexual. Well, they have a lot of, this, yes, they have heterosexual theater experience, but they also have a lot of experience in drama and in musicals. And I think I was attracted to their personalities. The tough thing was deciding which of them would play the lady and which of them would play the woman. In other words, which of them would play the femme and which would play the butch. Because they both have qualities of butch and femme in each of them. Mm. The great thing is, is that I think that there are butches and femmes in all people. In all of us, yes, yeah, in, in all of us. Yes, not just women even. Yeah, totally. So I was really struck by their ability to find the opposites in their characters that i think is a function of just being such terrific actresses.
1: Yeah, cuz i was thinking about these two characters and you know one has this way of dressing very masculine and the other one's very feminine and i wonder you know what that was like. It probably wouldn't be acceptable at all for a woman to wear trousers back then.
4: Yes, and they talk a lot about that in the play. I mean, you know, it's, we, of course, take it for granted, but at the time it was really like stealing the male gender, and there was a lot of tension about that. But I think because the character is such a hard worker and so dedicated, she wins the respect of both men and women for her gender clothing choice. I think that she really wins the respect of everybody. And I think that, furthermore, is why the relationship works for the community. These are women that the community respects. And first and foremost, they find that they can accept their relationship.
1: So tell me a little bit about theater rhinoceros, because this is the first time that I've encountered you guys. Mm -hmm. And also, I don't know if this is the same question. It may be a completely different (laughs) question. What's the opposite of straight theater? If they've also done straight theater, not meaning heterosexual theater, Uh, what does that mean?
4: Usually, when we talk about straight theater, straight theater can mean heterosexual theater. It can also just mean, like, not musicals.
1: Oh, but yeah. this is almost sort of like a tiny – there's music. There's a lot of music. I love musicals. Yeah. But anyway, not there's everyone
4: does. No, there's a lot of music in this. We added music because the playwright was like – I said to her, I said, what do you hear as music? And she said, spirituals. And cool. both Valina and Dawn are great singers. And so we've added a lot of music that they have done most of the choices themselves just from their background. As to your other question, Theater Rhinoceros is the oldest gay lesbian theater in the world. We've been around since 1977. And uh, we've been producing plays about lesbians and gay men and transgenders for 35 years. It's our 35th anniversary. We've been in constant production. We do about six shows a year. So do the math, we've done over, we've done almost 200 shows. (laughs) And we came out of a time when there really wasn't any gay stuff. There was nothing in the movies. There was writers. Yeah, yeah. there there was nothing. And so these were gay stories that had to be told. Now the thing is, is that there is a lot of gay stuff on TV, but there isn't a lot of gay stuff about, say, African-American lesbians. So we're always trying to find the stories that aren't being told somewhere else. And I think that that characterizes this play beautifully. We've got two terrific actresses telling a story by a terrific playwright that isn't told anywhere else.
1: Well, thank you so much. It's been such a pleasure to talk to you. John Fisher, thanks for coming on Sexploration with Monica.
4: My pleasure, Monica. Thanks for having us. Your
2: body had that baby. You didn't. I must have had something. I bore all the pain and I got the marks. Hmm. you still there. If I could give you a baby, what would you want to have? A girl. And depending on how the light hit her, she could look like me. Or she could look like you. What well, would you name her? Jesus. Jesus. Sweetest name I
1: know. I'm sitting here now with playwright Shirlene Holmes. She's visiting from Georgia. I'm excited to hear all of the different stories that you're going to share about what inspired you to create A Lady and a
3: Woman. Well, I wrote the play in 1990, and I was inspired by a lot of things. But more importantly, I wanted to create a piece set in history that portrays African-American Southern women who find themselves in a relationship. It's two characters, and their lives come together and stay together.
1: And A Lady and a Woman is a love story between two women.
3: It is. One of them who is aware of herself being same-sex attracted, and another one who is not. She is divorced and runs an inn. Her name is Flora Divine, And she ends up taking into her place a itinerant butcher named Biddy Higgins. And they set off on what would be called years ago a tea relationship but it evolves into a marriage.
1: What's a tea relationship? (laughs) You like hang out and have tea?
3: That's what women did. They were called that because that was the nice way of them gathering together to have tea and share and talk but a lot of those tea relationships were indeed love relationships.
1: So those were sort of like women's circles
3: in a way. Yeah, you would say that was a pleasant way for women to gather and not be suspicious to others and get to share and be intimate.
1: Interesting. And so you also teach women's studies, African-American studies, and theater.
3: Right. I'm an associate professor in the Department of Communication at Georgia State University in Atlanta. And I've been there since 1989, and I've had the great pleasure of teaching theater and speech and some African-American studies courses and women's studies courses over the years.
1: So how does women's studies and theater and African-American studies, how do all of those things weave together for you?
3: They weave together because I'm those things. (laughs) (laughs) I am an African-American woman, and I have been teaching and, and studying in those areas for years because of my own activism, my own interest, my own creative work so i teach others about those things it's been an exciting career
1: what made you decide to put a lady and a woman in the 1890s
3: well at that time in my 30s i thought it was a better way to talk about some of the issues that the play arises or arise in the play i should say putting it in uh, in history back in history it gives us some distance and helps people to listen better, especially at that time.
1: Tell us a little bit about the community that the play starts out in because it's only African-Americans living in this town.
3: Yes, Biddy and um, Miss Flora are surrounded by a community, a regular community that has a general store and has a church and has homeowners, and they are a part of it. I didn't want them to be outsiders in their community because most gay and lesbian people are in communities. They may not be loved there, But I don't think Biddy and Miss Flora are looking for the love. They're looking more for respect. The play is just the two of them, and we hear about the people outside and their perceptions. And I created it that way because I think love between two people is negotiated with just them, Mm -hmm. not those outside.
1: What are some of the things that you talk about as the love story unfolds, what are some of the issues that you take on?
3: Well, I take on the issue of spirituality because I think sexuality and spirituality are intertwined. And I felt that the characters needed to bring up what they felt and what they believed because what you believe has a lot to do with your behavior and your finding peace with yourself. So I created characters that wrestled with their ideas. Miss Flora is more intuitive and more mystic and has her understanding and Biddy is more of a realist and believes in a greater power. But I think together they have an understanding and so that's part of the play. That's one of the issues that are part and also How does one deal with the desire to have children and parent children in this kind of relationship? Mm. And the two of them work through that.
1: And both of them have such deep histories. Can you talk a little bit about what are some of the memories that they experience?
3: Well, Miss Flora had a child when she was young, and the child was taken away and died. She had an emotional scar from that, and Biddy was never treated as if she was fragile. Mm. So she's always had...
1: She's so tough. She's a dagger. Right? She's tough. You know, whatever that means. <laughs> whatever
3: that means. She's tough and she's a butcher. Right. And she gets the job done and wasn't babied or mm. pitied or expected to wait for a prince to come and mm. all the notions of fairy tales. So she has been itinerant. She just moves from place to place to place. But this is for the first time she feels like staying. Mm. And that's incredibly important to her, that she wants to settle somewhere for the first time in her life.
1: Yeah. I mean, it sounds really exciting. These are both very empowered women for their time.
3: Indeed. They're both business owners, and I did that purposely because I wanted to take finances out of the equation. Some people exchange what they think is love or affection for money, and I didn't want money to be an issue for the two of them. I wanted them to come to each other because they wanted to. Mm -hmm. That's always an issue when it comes to women and what women want to do and what society says to do. I wanted them to be women who can make choices, not out of desperation or compromise, but because they want to, Mm. which is powerful.
1: How do you deal with what society says in this play?
3: Well, I focus through the characters on what they want to do, and society has to take care of itself. I don't think any of us should have to do what everyone expects of us (laughs) because you will not live an authentic life. In order to live an authentic life, you have to make choices and make the choices you can stand up for and you will lose people. They can't accept you. Sometimes you have to understand that and have a life full of people who do accept you. So the few who don't, it's all right.
1: I imagine since this is a drama that not everything goes perfectly in this play. What do the characters learn?
3: Well, they do learn about things. Betty has issues with jealousy.
0: Can't lose you, Miss Paul. Where am I going? You act like you don't understand. Ain't you ever had something so precious? You don't want nothing to touch it, nothing to take it away from you? I don't want to spoil you. I don't want nothing
2: spoiled. spoil you. Uh, is there something wrong with that? There is when you take that precious thing and you put it in a box and you don't trust it to live on its own. You can't cage me, Betty. I trust you. I just don't trust another folks. You're supposed to protect what's yours. I ain't yours. Then whose are you? I'm my own, but you're welcome to share.
3: And Miss Flora... Has to move with her inner self, with her insight. And when something doesn't sit well with her, she has to say it. And she, um, or she is troubled by it. So they have to overcome more inner struggles. And I think that's like the rest of us. We are the ones we're waiting for. So we tend to go against our intuitions or try to deny ourselves, and a life of that is so unfulfilling, and people decide to leave this life because they cannot be true to themselves, and I think these women have moments when they have to be true to themselves. Biddy thinks she owns Miss Flora, and it has to be straightened out
1: (laughs) because we don't
3: own anyone. (laughs) Right. And issues of sexuality are important and more difficult initially for Miss Flora to discuss because nice girls don't discuss sex and sexuality. Mm. And she's got to break through that and seeing sexuality as part of her divine right Mm. and that only she can determine what that will be. And sometimes when you talk like this, it's subversive. But I feel that if one does not is not honest with themselves, then you're not authentic mm. and you'll have no peace. Mm.
1: What are some of the tools that Miss Flora has or finds that helps her be able to open up and deal with her sexuality?
3: Well, what happens is she is at the crossroads of choices and she could either stay on the same road or follow the road less traveled. (laughs) She makes a choice to take a risk and risking is awfully scary but for her it's a strength and continues to build her character throughout the drama. Both of the women have decisions to make and I think Each time you make a decision, there are consequences that go with that, and you have to accept that. And some people would rather live a smaller life than to take the risks. And we can call the names of so many people in history who took the risk and changed themselves or change the world. In the case of uh, Dr. Martin Luther King, they said what they had to say and did what they had to do. And in in this play, these women are there. Biddy could keep moving on and on and on and never settle for anything mm. that means something for herself. And that would be quite a disappointing life. And so I that in the play, to make us think about that. When we get to points of choice, what will we do?
1: Why was it important to you to write a story about two African-American women falling in love?
3: Well, I wanted very much to capture what I didn't see back in 1990. If I saw a play with a gay theme and African-American actors were in it, they never brought their culture with them. They didn't bring their language and their way of doing things. And I wanted to create that. Perhaps I have a God complex. I wanted to make the world <laughs> that way. And I set about to write that. And, of course, with a life with friends and people around me who are same-sex attracted, I I wanted to tell the story in a way that they would be affirmed and women would be, women in general would be affirmed and human beings would be affirmed. I believe, as um, Lorraine Hansberry, who wrote Race in the Sun and one of my inspirations, she said, if you focus on the specific and do it well, you'll reach the universal. And I think a lady and a woman has that appeal, that if you're human and you still believe in love, and what that means to you, the play will mean something.
1: I love what you said about being able to create a universe as a playwright, because I wanted to talk about some of your other work. You wrote Daughters, which is about transcultural adoption, and Strong Arms, which takes place as a shelter for battered men, and you said that you wanted to create that world.
3: Yes, the play Daughters is about identity. It started with a simple question. Where have all the hippies gone? <laughs> Growing up, I wasn't old enough to participate in the 60s, but I often wondered where those Earth Day people are, the Birkenstocks wearers, <laughs> and what became of those people who broke with tradition and... Wanted uh, to save the planet and, and <laughs> no. all of that.
1: Still needs saving. <laughs> yeah.
3: And uh, it started with that question. And then I began thinking about what it means when you're not adopted by someone who looks like you and is like you and has the sensibility of a culture, and, but is different. And they raise you with a great deal of love. And when you get to a crossroads, how do they help you with identity? So I have a couple, a white couple, with three daughters, one that's biological, one that's African-American, and one that's Chinese-American. They actually went to China to get her. It was written during the time when people were going to get girls from China because well,
1: China didn't want their girls; they were just throwing them out. So we were like, "Oh, we got to go get them. And, we um, like them; yeah, <laughs> they're and, cute."
3: And so what happened is they went and um, got the child. And these three daughters—two are eighteen; the biological and the African American daughter are eighteen. Daughters are eighteen, and the Asian daughter is seventeen. And the oldest daughter, which is the biological one, she she gets into whiteness. She's been raised with these two colored sisters and is feeling herself, trying to understand what her identity is. And the African-American daughter, she wants to be a writer like Alice Walker and go to Spelman, but she doesn't quite want to be black, whatever that means mm. to her. And the Chinese daughter, feels this need to be extremely Chinese. Mm. What is it? Because she's now at the age where it's concerning her to know, what is my language? What is my culture? How do I reckon with it? And the three daughters absolutely love their parents, but they are trying to figure out, what is my identity? They go through things through the play to help them understand that your family is where your indeed your heart is. And I was reading a newspaper in Atlanta. It asked, where do men go when they are battered? And I honestly couldn't answer the question. Mm. So I created a play that's set in a shelter for battered men, and I have five men in the house. And they are going through various types of abuse and working with it, working through it, I should say.
1: What were some of the issues that you were thinking about as you were writing about battered men? I mean, was it sort of like an allegory for battered women or were you looking at gender? What were some of the things that you were addressing?
3: No, it wasn't an allegory for women. I really wanted to explore that place that men have that they can't hardly acknowledge their abuse because they don't live in a world that lets them say, I've been sexually abused, I've been physically abused, I've been emotionally abused, I've been abused by my parents. And I wanted to write about that with respect and with sensitivity and with a kind of accuracy for my research and my being able to talk to men who have been battered and from news headlines where I read about things that happen to men. We don't allow men to cry and we don't allow them to tell anyone and they suffer in silence. And I created a play where the um, center is, this uh, shelter is, it's run by a man named Peter Goodman and he he was a nurse in Vietnam and i had met one of my student assistants he had graduate assistant he was he had been a nurse in Vietnam and i was so fascinated about that he spent his time or his career in the military taking care of men and men who
1: are wounded
3: who are wounded i thought that was so wonderful and i wanted to give that voice in this play, that there's, there are men with a heart mm. and are caring about men, not merely in a sexual way, mm-hmm. but in a way that says, I'll help you in this way, not like a female nurse may help you, which might remind you of your mother or your sister, but in another kind of way that we as a society still have struggles with Mm -hmm. accepting men who can care and don't have to have all that, what is that macho stuff, but are human Mm -hmm. and feel for someone who is hurting Mm -hmm. and wants to help them.
1: Is it mostly physical abuse that these men are experiencing or emotional abuse? What's happening Um, for them?
3: A little of both. I have an elderly man who was abused in a nursing home physically abused. And I have a Hispanic young man who's 19 who's been physically, sexually, and emotionally abused by his father. Also, there's a preacher's kid. And he has been married 10 years. And his wife has been physically abusing him to the point where he is now having some brain injury. And one other man is a transvestite and has a very abusive lover that he keeps returning to. This is his third time Mm -hmm. at the shelter. I don't think you can be physically abused and not emotionally (laughs) abused at the same time. (laughs) So these types of abuses intersect Mm -hmm. and affect. So I did from young men, 19, to someone in their 80s.
1: So, what were some of the tools that these men found to leave their partners and to leave the
3: abuse? Well, some of them were placed there, like the gentleman, uh, and the old folks was, was. right? And there, first they find someone who can listen to them without mm-hmm. judgment, mm-hmm. and then they have to own their struggle, mm-hmm. because a lot of people are in the fifty-first state, which is the state of denial. <laughs> Mm-hmm. Right, <laughs> yeah. where I deserve it or right. I am bad because of the choices I've made in my life. Mm-hmm. And so first they've got to get through that and own that I am being abused, even if it is my wife, even if it is my caretaker, even if it is my dad. And I have a right to be cared for now. And I have the right to say I still love my father, but my father's wrong. Mm-hmm. They have sessions where we learn about them, and they go through that. We also have Mr. Goodman, who runs the plays, Peter, who is striving to be the strong arms for them, to help them through it.
1: Do some or all of the men find healing at Strong Arms, and how?
3: Not all of them do. Mr. Oles, who's the elderly man, he has only one child that will interact with him. Out of many? Yeah. Mm -hmm. And he is a widow, but he finally makes peace with that daughter who wants to care for him, but he won't. Letter to he come.
1: won't let her take care of him.
3: Why right? not? Because he feels he has done her wrong, oh. so he's guilty, mm. and he has to come through that so he can go home to live with her instead of back to a facility. Mm. The transvestite does not do well. He returns again, and Peter has said, "You know, he violates the rules of the house." And he has to be let go, and Peter suffers from it, and his fiance have one woman in the play, and that 's his fiance, who is his strong arms. Mm-hmm. He learns about himself. You can love someone or care about someone, but not to your detriment right mm-hmm.
1: well, and sometimes I think when people are caretakers, especially caretaking people who are in abusive relationships or are trying to recover from abusive relationships. A lot of times people do go back to abuse and it's so hard because you can't control their behavior. You can't tell them what to do. You just have to let them make their own choices, but I'm sure it's so hard.
3: It is indeed. And my heart breaks for people living in those situations because they don't, even if they had an offer of help, they couldn't accept it. It's a very complex thing. I learned that really in my research for writing the play that it's deep Mm -hmm. it's a very deep thing but I took it on because I I wanted a world somewhere where this issue was discussed and that audiences will think about it. It had a stage reading at the National Black Arts Festival in Atlanta, but it's never been produced, and I think people are afraid of it.
1: Well, I think it's really scary to imagine men being abused because it kind of subverts our idea about male power, and I just think it's really confronting for people, you know? It
3: is. Males are not supposed to be vulnerable. They suffer because they don't have a way to express themselves. We've created a society that is based on let them all be warriors, right, and all that. And it's not working. We could see that. It's not working. And it takes a lot of courage to be a man who can say, I have troubles or I, I feel, I care, I'm sensitive. You don't always get applauded for that. And sometimes you even get rejected because i had some actors who were reading the play and they just couldn't see themselves in it they didn't feel that they would ever be abused and that these men i was portraying there these men were wimps or mm. punks or mm. if it's they your wife them. yes they had judgment mm. i thought that was interesting that it brought that up rather than this is something real Talk to
1: me a little bit about your research for this play, Strong Arms.
3: Well, Strong Arms, I did reading of cases. I did readings about women's shelters and how how they function to see if there was anything in women's shelters that I thought could I could portray in the play, because I've never been to a shelter for better men. So I I ran a search at that time. This is in the 90s. And where I was living, I didn't see one. I also watched documentaries, things about abuse, and it helped me to get some insight. It's a terrible thing. And I've known people who were abused and spent time asking questions and trying to understand it's a sensitive issue.
1: And I think it must be especially sensitive for men to admit. You yes.
3: Know? And for some women as well, mm. because you're supposed to be strong, just like women have difficulty owning rape mm. and incest, mm-hmm. and just live with it until they're compelled somehow to address it.
1: What is the reason that you write plays like you do, A Lady and a Woman and Daughters and Strong Arms? What... What are you trying to do?
3: I'm especially motivated as a person that has been marginalized and spend time with people in activist work. There are voices we don't hear a lot. They don't get in the mainstream. I feel if I can portray some of these social issues... It'll give us a chance to talk, to think. I really am caught up with the drama of life, I think, and my writing is a part of that. I'd rather write something that moves us. I believe theater is such a powerful force and can be utilized, much like music or any of the other arts, to make a better world.
1: How do you think theater works to make a better world?
3: First of all, it's one of the last of the communal arts. We can sit together for a minute.
1: <laughs> Live, in person. And, in,
3: and alive. <laughs> Though I respect film and sculpture, theater is a living art. And there's something very fantastic and wonderful about that. And I think it helps us by being together. And perhaps even if we don't, I love talkbacks, you know, (laughs) but if we don't get to talk to the playwright or the director or the actors or anyone, we can talk with the person who came with us and mull over it, even if we come alone. Theater Rhinoceros doing A Lady and a Woman is a, a wonderful thing. It's actually one of the best birthday presents I've ever received. My birthday's Thursday. Oh,
1: happy birthday.
3: Thank you. That what I worked on and created and gave so much thought has come to mean something here in San Francisco. And I'm excited about it. And I feel that as a theater piece, it will fulfill itself. Someone will think and someone will talk and someone will turn maybe to the person sitting right next to them (laughs) and say something. And I hope that it will because we're becoming less social with all our twits and tweets and...
1: (laughs) With all our social marketing, yes.
3: And I don't hate that. It's just if we're going to be fully alive, we need to wrestle with things that we may not feel good about. And if one less person will agree not to abuse another, then it will all be for the good. And my living will be in vain, if I can say that. Mm. And I feel in my years of using the theater, I know I've touched people. Through these characters and situations, and I know that theaters like Theater Rhinoceros, who's striving to do something to bring to life these types of plays, is wonderful. It's movement.
1: Yeah, totally. It's exciting to see African-American women being same-sex attracted and authentic and
3: and Southern. And Southern, <laughs> yes, absolutely. <laughs> well, I think the theater's a place for all things. It's great to be able to have this opportunity. I'm very thankful to Theater Rhinoceros and to yourself and your audience for listening and for being a part of change. And we're in a critical time. If we can release the hatreds and release all of the things that keep us apart, And think of what are the things that help us to relate to one another. Even if we choose not to love, we can walk in respect Mm -hmm. of everyone's right to choose.
1: Well, I want to invite people to find you at sholmes at gsu.edu. We're talking with Shirlene Holmes She's a playwright from, well, you're originally from New York, but you live in Atlanta, Georgia. I live
3: in Atlanta, Georgia. I've been there for a few years now.
4: But, <laughs> like uh, more than 20. I was
3: kind of made in New York, but I love the pace of the South. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but it's great to be here.
1: Yeah, that's going to be an interesting little taste of the pace of the South for us, because, you know, we're in a busy city, and so I'm like, oh, what does it mean to be a Southerner? I don't
3: know. Mm-hmm. <laughs> well, I am from... Of South, I'd say, because my mother was Southern, raised us with everything—the cornbread, the switch, the grits, the no. whole thing—and oh, no. um, I, uh, the South is dear to me. I actually feel more at home in the South than I did in New York. But I stayed there the first 25 years of my life and grateful for that, Mm. what that means, and settled in the South. I finished my um, master's and doctorate in Southern Illinois and have had a chance to travel, but I still have a love of the South.
1: Mm. What do you think it means to be Southern?
3: Well, for me, there's a bit more attention to nature. Mm. (laughs) I guess I love seeing the trees and the flowers. Not that other places don't have them. There's a pace, and you can walk by people, and they'll speak to you, and that means a lot. I've just found a slower pace to live in, and I like that. And I speed up when I come places like this. Yeah. But... um, I kind of like the sweet tea of the South Mm. being a little more close to the roots of my family.
1: Well, Shirlene Holmes, thanks so much for coming on Sexploration with Monica.
3: Well, thank you, and I guess I should say to everyone, stay sexy.
2: Someone's in the kitchen with Tyler Someone's in the kitchen I know in the kitchen with on
0: their
1: old
2: banjo.
1: You can subscribe to Sexploration with Monica on iTunes and have new episodes delivered automatically. Or download free podcasts at sexplorationwithmonica.com.